Hey, how you doing? I'm Daniel Ruiz Tyson. It is the 4th of December and this is Daniel Ruiz Tyson's Advent Calendar and the 4th of 24 daily podcasts to take you right up to Christmas as I look to see if it's possible for me to ever love Christmas again like I did back in my younger days. It's only now having lost my parents and a close lifelong friend, that I appreciate, that I understand that Christmas uh, is a time to to cherish being with your loved ones. I didn't understand that when my mum was around, even though I was a young man when she was seeing out her final Christmases and old enough to have an idea of what the festive season should be about. But I just didn't see it. I don't think I was mature enough to see it. The strange thing is, whenever Christmas came around, it always crossed my mind it could be my mum's last Christmas. While I was shocked when I eventually lost her, I kind of wasn't, in a way. And that would be because of my dad's notorious death predictions. He was the Stockwell soothsayer. His prophecies, like Pele's pre-World Cup predictions, always wildly inaccurate and always guaranteed to alienate family and friends, were dreaded by everybody. My dad would discern some mystery illness just by looking at someone and then tell them they had little time left. I think there was such a large turnout at his own funeral because so many people whose demise he had predicted just wanted to come along and confirm that he was really dead. One Friday evening in September 89, my dad fixed me with a rather grave expression and told me that my mum was going to die soon. He was uh, 11 and a half years out with that prediction. But what he did that night back in 89 is he kind of took my mum from me in a sense. I became preoccupied with losing her to the extent that it got in the way of appreciating that she was still around. I remember the best Christmas present I ever got my mum was a portable colour TV in 97 and I was so moved by her reaction. I was going out a lot as any man of that age would be my dad had moved all right he'd only moved downstairs but technically it was still a move university had meant my sister was never going to return to life in a bedsit I didn't like my mum being on her own she'd done so much for me and I just wanted to give her something nice admittedly uh, a massive downgrade on the house I'd promised buying her when I was growing up But a 14-inch portable colour TV from Argos was about as far as my already checkered P45 heavy work life allowed me to go. I remember how her face lit up when she got it. If it had been possible to leave the room in our tiny cluttered bedsit, I would have. I just, I wanted to cry. I loved her so much I wanted to give her the world and I couldn't. To see my mum so happy just to get a small TV broke my heart. My mum worked hard to keep up the magic of Christmas, even as I made it into my 20s. My mum was still getting me those advent calendars and my Beano annual every year. But she knew me and Christmas were by now estranged. It hurt me to see her spending money she didn't have. The one plus of falling out of love with Christmas for me was that post-Christmas Eve melancholy I mentioned on day one or two of my calendar. It just disappeared. I would give no Christmas cards out unless I could be certain the recipient was likely to still be in my life the following Christmas. I didn't want to be writing out cards to some colleague that was just passing through my life like my latest tiny flat post-recession. I stand by that. 
I don't think you should give Christmas cards to people you've just met. And then one year, late 90s, my mum was still around. For the first time, I didn't get a single Christmas card. And I thought, wow, this has really happened. No one wanted to give me a card. And it crossed my mind, my mum might have looked at that and thought, my God, I brought up a very unpopular man. The annual countdowns in my head, the 1st to 24th of December, they ceased to it was like being with a partner I'd undeservedly elevated and thought myself lucky to have. For so long, I was in awe of Christmas Eve, until one day I was able to look at it and think, finally, you're not all that. They were wasted Christmases, in a way, those final Christmases with my parents. My failure to embrace and enjoy the time I had left with them. Obviously, I wasn't to know what was going to happen. But I should have had enough about me to understand that Christmas was at the very least a time to enjoy with my loved ones, that they wouldn't be around forever. And I let those Christmases slip by. And I do think I see that this year. With the people I have in my life, old and new, I'm not making that mistake this year. I'm opening myself up to Christmas. Right now, possibly a little too much of that newfound peace with Christmases food orientated, thinking a little too much about the amount of meat I'm going to consume, but it'll be overeating alongside people I'm going to be happy to spend the day with. I think that's progress, my end. But by the end of this calendar, I want Christmas to be about more than my stomach. Every day I'm opening the door to my advent calendar, much like I did in the old days. If you're listening to the show on iTunes, then visit holdfastnetwork.com where you'll be able to see the pictures behind the doors each day. Today's picture is of the $6 million man doll, arguably the most uh, influential Christmas present I ever got. I think the doll arrived at Mayflower in 76, although... As hard as I look, I can't see the $6 million man box in the picture of the unwrapped Christmas of 76 that appeared on day two. I loved the $6 million man show. I loved Lee Majors. I never understood how Farrah Fawcett could leave Steve Austin when she left him for Ryan O'Neill in the mid-70s or late-70s. I had a red tracksuit. Me and my cousin would run through the Angeltown estate in Brixton, both simultaneously humming the memorable theme tune to the show. If you're from my generation, if you're a guy, there's every chance you had the $6 million man doll. And you might remember how much bigger they were than other action dolls of the period. Whenever I got a toy from a particular collection, whether it was the $6 million man doll, an action man, a Sabucho, or a Star Wars figure, I always faced a real battle to add to it. My dad didn't want me adding to them. He didn't understand why I needed to. Why did I want more than the two teams that came with my Sabucho Club Edition in 78? My first Star Wars figure, a Chewbacca, a swap at school, was knocking around on his own for a year before my dad finally relented and bought me a Luke Skywalker. The Steve Austin doll was so much bigger than my other action dolls. You couldn't incorporate him easily into any games you were playing with them. It was three years before I was allowed to add to the $6 million man collection, and that was only because there was an offer on uh, Maskatron, a spectacular action figure that came complete with 
three masks allowing the robot to be disguised. He had triggers on the arms too after the series was discontinued. I know I got the doll in Christmas 76 because towards the end of the show's run, Lee Majors grew a tash. Suddenly, my doll didn't look like him. i just started at St Mary's Infants in Clapham in January 77 and I was in my first class there. I now had access to plasticine and I remember vividly the idea forming in my head about how I could fashion a moustache from plasticine for my doll. I took some plasticine from school and stuck it on the doll's top lip when I got home. Suddenly, my doll looked like the $6 million man again. But more importantly, it kick-started my preoccupation with facial hair. Ever since then, I've been fascinated by the way a man can alter his look by growing a tash, or beard, or both. In Christmas 1983, the second of my parents' three trial marriages, they didn't do trial separations, they did trial marriages when they were already married. Periods where they attempted to get on, which for me were the worst times of my childhood. You knew that first argument would be the big one. These trial marriages took place in September 81, at the spring of 87, and in between, most memorably, Christmas 83. Christmas 83 I remember as being a mixed bag. Lots of fighting at home. My dad was now into his second year of refusing to celebrate Christmas, which I'll come on to another day. But he made amends that year by growing a beard for me. Not for my mum, not because his wife had requested it, but because his boy loved facial hair. And I wanted to see at close quarters what a beard in development would look like. The Play-Doh barbershop wasn't enough. Now, unfortunately, I've not been able to locate a picture of my dad fully bearded in Christmas 83, though they are about. I've moved so often I just lose track of where everything is, and the daily demands of this show mean I don't have the time to look for it. But I can tell you it was a full beard, well-trimmed, very black. My dad would have been 40 that year. He was aging very well. I remember the sound his beard used to make when I touched it. As difficult as Christmas 83 was... It was made that much better by my dad growing that beard for me. It was the $6 million man that started us off on that road. An odyssey that would lead all the way to my disgracefully inappropriate Go Faster Strike beard that I sported at my mum's funeral. Let's do this again tomorrow. Daniel Ruiz Tyson's Advent Calendar is a Hold Fast Network production. Visit holdfastnetwork.com or download the show on iTunes. For more of Daniel's work, visit 1607westegg.wordpress.com and you can follow him on Twitter at 1607westegg.